Well, I finally, yeah. finally finished Mad Men last Sunday. That was a, an ordeal for me. I almost uh, realized I had gotten to the point with it where twice I had... I had only watched it all the way through kind of in, as it was airing. And then when uh, I got to the point where it was the second to last episode of the second, the first half of the last season, the seventh season. And like that was just like, to me, that felt like a good outro for, for, for it. And I was like, okay, I'll come back and finish it later. And then I... Yeah. And then I uh, started rewatching it, like from season five on Net- Netflix or something, trying to think I was going to finish it. And then got to that point again, and then I was like, ah, I think I kind of want to revisit the whole thing. And then uh, there was an Amazon day, and the whole series was available. And I'm like, ah, screw it, I'll buy the whole series on Blu-ray and watch it. Thinking, <laughs> I, thinking it'll take forever, but like I kind of did it pretty quickly, like in like eight months or something. So it was nice. an inter- interesting experience, I guess. I mean, it's just it's just interesting to me, like the the. The kind of creative stuff that goes on in it. Plus, like, I mean, I'm a sucker for a lot of those uh, those elements, like visual and stylistic elements of that era and and all of that. So it was in it, it's it's um <clears throat> it was a show that was like very much like a show I could just kind of fall into on a Sunday night from a mood standpoint, and just kind of see what these characters are doing and kind of be engaged and inspired or interested in this sort of it's one of the few shows i think that deals with like the creative process even though it didn't do it all the time in so, in some ways and it was kind of had varying degrees of cynicism slash you know whatever else but i don't know i don't i'm trying to think if there's any other good shows that are really about like writers coming up with ideas or i mean this, yeah maybe like, halt and catch fire a, li- um, a little bit yeah called catch fire is like building a business building something for sure yeah, it's about the process of innovation yeah. kind of yeah sure i mean i like that i mean that's my thing i feel like i was recently listening to his podcast can be a bit interminable but um the the, the nerdist podcast with, with chris hardwick and he has two with matthew weiner and believe it or not like the first one i was listening to they actually go we're it was basically just a good conversation with him about like ideas he had behind when he was working on the pilot and making the show and stuff. And I'm like, that's the kind of stuff I'm into is, uh, is, is that kind of stuff from a creative standpoint. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I have varying feelings about the, the way the show ended. Uh, did you, did you finish it or have you watched all of it? Oh yeah. Yeah. I finished it, uh, like back when it was live and I, and right. I could kind of, I could kind of tell from, you know, your, um, image stream or whatever like right. i was like all right he's really close to the end so i, I figured you were wrapping it up so glad yeah. you brought it up on your own to yeah <laughs> to ask yeah. but yeah i hear you on uh basically agree on all those points like it's an amazing like period piece even if it didn't have great characters and great you know showing the creative process behind advertising and stuff you know it's just like perfectly done like 60s 70s down to every little detail so it's like that um I don't know that that fine-tuned director style, uh, that director who never misses anything. Like I don't know, Del Toro maybe, or um, <laughs> I don't know, where you focus on the minute little details, and that's what's you know that's what's so impressive about that stuff. But yeah, uh, always loved Mad Men. Always thought Peggy was like an amazing character. Really loved Absolutely. her. Um, and then obviously Don, you know. Uh, but I don't know. I always kind of felt like it was more Peggy's story, but. Um, Great show, for sure. De- definitely, she was the intro character from the pilot and everything else. Like, she's the one that gets introduced to the office. Joan introduces her to the office, like she's introducing us to the office, you know? So, yeah. there, th- she was the entry point character, for sure. But, uh, yeah, no, I mean, it was, that was what was... That was where I think it kind of, for me, like, I, I figured it probably wasn't going to manage to be completely successful, because I found myself just enjoying almost every little, like... It became much more of an ensemble, I think. After, as most good shows do, and so oh, you're kind of sure. like, you're kind of like, oh, are they really gonna like? 
at, at every moment you're like you know as I get towards the end of the, ep- the last few episodes I'm like okay this might be the last scene with this character and I'm like is this a good last scene for this character and I mean at some point I think maybe they had to just throw up their hands and be like we're not gonna not everybody's gonna get a great final send off and maybe that's the point too is that life goes on you know and you know, so and so is just sitting there frustrated about something, and that's that. You know. <laughs> yeah, that might just be kind of a whiner thing. I feel like I don't know TV shows that kind of do a really good job at building a universe full of characters, and there's like so many, but each one of them is kind of memorable in their own way. And right. it's like to your point, it's like it's like Game of Thrones or you know, whiner worked on Sopranos too. I mean, yeah. like I, I might not remember like every one of those gangsters' names, but I'll like remember kind of like what they did or who they sort of worked for and I don't know that I don't know that's impressive in its own I guess I mean all Mad Men had all those little characters because it tapped into you know lots of mergers and different people and you get great side characters like Bill Murray's brother and um, I don't know like that the creative director in the early seasons the gay one who you know kissed Dawn and had all that awkward you know background <laughs> that right, they right. had they had to kind of um, write him off and <laughs> all those sort of things, but uh, yeah, yeah. That's that's that's. There was all kinds of stuff like that. I guess. It's, I just the, wonder. Or the wire, for like an, the wire would be another example where it's just like you remember, you know, every little gang member and stuff. So. Right. Yeah. Well, this is kind of an interesting, believe it or not. I think a good little intro to William Friedkin's Sorcerer, in a way, 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 because we're talking about different characters and how they where they end up and how they end up and <laughs> kind of kind of at the end of the line in a lot of ways just like how Mad Men kind of you know is sort of an end of the line thing when it gets to its its finale I recently had rewatched it and uh you were big in uh I just had a bird fly in here I'm going to have to open the door give me a second <laughs> This is great podcasting. <laughs> Sorry, uh, nice. I've got all the, I'm trying to open the house up as much as I can while the sun's out, and you know it's like air things out and get a natural freshness to it. Yeah. Then, then, then a bird flies in, and then the cat's chasing the bird. It would be a great like, <laughs> like, great like video. A, video. I need some, uh, need yeah, some live yeah. video on this. Right. Okay. Well, welcome to the Feudal Podcast. I guess we can say that tonight we're going to talk about. William Friedkin's, uh, I wouldn't call it, it's not necessarily a remake, right? Because he, the, the book is called Wages of Fear, and it says it's based on the book, but there was a movie called Wages of Fear that was, uh, was it French, black and white? Uh, yeah, it was black and white, I think it was 50s, I, I have it, it's one of the Criterion Blu-ray right. sets, um, I don't know if it's necessarily a full remake, like Sorcerer goes a little deeper, like there's not like... The background of the four guys uh, who get in the trucks sort of level of background. It's more just like, here's four guys who need money. Like, there's not right. the, the interesting, rich detail of each of those four guys' paths. But um, Th- That's not present in the film version of Wages of Fear? Not, not that I remember, and uh, the ending is different. Um, okay, interesting. And, and we ought to say uh, spoiler, spoiler tags on this. Indeed, indeed, spoilers. No, okay, so... I feel like um, I've heard from, I don't know how many people, not a lot, because I haven't talked a lot with a lot of people about this. I mean, I know Jay Chiel from Film Junk either was saying that he had heard this or he had heard this and agreed that he thought Wages of Fear was superior to Sorcerer. But from what you're saying, I haven't seen Wages of Fear, I have not read the book. Um, It sounds to me like 
I mean, I could see a take on that, and that might be what I get into about some of my criticism of Sorcerer. Uh, from 1977, by the way, I finally found that on the back of the Blu-ray. They love to hide the... Uh, <laughs> The year the movie was made, and they love to hide the runtime on these things, like worse than anything on the back of these. Oh, um, yeah. You're always trying to be like, do I have time to watch Rocketeer with my friends tonight? Or uh, where, how long is it? It's going to take me an hour to find it, so factor that in. Um, but yeah, so so I'm not sure. Uh, so this is one that, that'll be, this will be an interesting podcast, because my background with the movie is, of like everything, always relevant to my to my critique and I think I'm open to being maybe a full star swing one way or the other with this movie. I, I think this was a solid three and a half for me on my last letterboxed of it, or my only letterboxing of it. Okay. Um, but uh, this was a five for you, and then, then you turn around and rewatched it for this. So, so you're coming from a love standpoint, I'm coming from a like standpoint. And so I think I'm going to turn it over to you and, and just kind of you... You know, make your case for Sorcerer, and then let's get into the nitty-gritty when it seems right. Sure. Okay. Um, let's see. My, I guess my opening argument would be, I don't know if I'm, <laughs> I'm, I don't know if I necessarily uh, love Sorcerer, but I would say I definitely love William Friedkin and most of the movies he has done. Um, so I definitely say I'm a Friedkin fan. I would say Sorcerer for me, I just saw it for the first time um, about two years ago. I bought it on Blu-ray when it when it came out finally. Um, and not knowing anything about it, went into it blind. And um, I, I think for me, I, I think that, I mean, the genesis of this conversation is I saw your three and a half and I was like, wow, that seems low for me <laughs> because <laughs> most of the people that I know really enjoy it or, or most of the people right. I see on letterbox or follow, uh, you know, have, have a special spot for, it. I think it just has a really interesting background behind it and maybe what it could have been. And maybe we'll get into that a little later, but I, for me, I mean, what I like about it, um, like we already kind of teased, like, it's it's like Wages of Fear, but I feel like it takes it a step further uh, in regards to all the characters and stuff, and all the the I don't know, for lack of a better word, intensity. Um, like that, this movie is intense. Like first watch, uh, I felt like like I think I was pretty much sweating at the end of it. It just has that classic Friedkin. You know, car chase, sitting on the edge of your seat, sort of like, oh my god, you know, what's what am I watching? What's going to happen next? Sort of feel, and I think maybe it's just that's how I evaluate things. If a movie can move me or make me feel unsettled, you know, that kind of thing, I give it uh, a much higher passing grade than a three and a half. So, something that can make me, you know. Uh, sit in a pool of sweat during the movie just because <laughs> I'm having so much fun like watching it or I feel that unsettled at the end um, I, I definitely think it's successful and I, that's I guess my how I got to it be a five banger for me so I don't know it's, okay. all, it's all about you know it's interesting has some interesting themes like I don't want to get too into wages of fear because I haven't I didn't rewatch it um, but I, I have seen it and I kind of remember the differences and whatnot and it's you know an older film a foreign film it's not as hollywood um but it, it, it's kind of successful in the same way and that's just like the basic story of you know uh, a bunch of guys who you know at their you know kind of backs against the wall and they need money and they have to take this job that's you know they could easily die on by uh, i mean i guess we ought to tell a little bit about what it's about it's about you know, four guys who are asked to drive trucks to basically transport old 
very volatile nitroglycerin, like, 200-something miles across, like, some really shoddy roads to help put out an oil fire that's going. So that's, I mean, that's the background. But I don't know. I, I just think it's it's real simple and it's real effective, and that's how, what it comes down to for me. Cool. Yeah, no, and I'm completely on board with where you're coming from with this. I, 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 and I can kind of do a reverse genesis as to why I think, for me, it's landing at this 3.5. Um, your description of like that first initial seeing, viewing and the, the being moved and engaged, I think that happens to me with a lot of Nolan's films. I think my first theatrical experience with him, with the exception of The Prestige, I think The Prestige is one of the only ones I've liked better on rewatches. But I usually kind oh, of... Oh, completely like, agree. Like, yep. You know, like, like I went into Dunkirk and had a perfect seat. But they, but the presentation was like too small. I don't know if they didn't know what they were doing with like the seventy millimeter aspect ratio or whatever. And um, this won't be the Dunkirk podcast, but <laughs> and uh, but but at certain points, I was like completely and utterly engaged and and very moved by moments of like legitimate action characters were taking. And there was Hollywood bits, but it was like it was it wasn't like. The difference would be between, like, being moved by, like, Spielberg-style Saving Private Ryan War stuff, and this is, like, Nolan, you know, hardcore, intense, like, you know, real deal shit, you know? (laughs) Like, that guy doesn't know that he could save that guy, but he's going to try to do it anyway, and, you know? Yeah. (laughs) And, like, okay, that's awesome. But, so, so, I mean, I get what you're coming, coming from with your initial viewing of Sorcerer. Now, my experience with it is kind of in an odd way tainted by TV, of course. It must have been, and in my old nostalgia way, I'll always do this, it was some Friday late afternoon, home from school type of scenario, flipping around on the basic cable channels, and I just got in on this this scene with this moment and this mood and this music and this uh, cutting back to this fire and this thing. Basically, I got into where the awesome part of this movie starts. Mm-hmm. On, like, TBS or something, with the Tangerine Dream score and all these guys being like, okay, we're going to do this. And so, and then I watched it all the way through and was like, this is fucking amazing. (laughs) So I had that second half with with the gripping part experience. And that was my, like, okay, I don't even know. This is, of course, back in the day when it's like, I think I knew what it was called, but thought that was a weird name. Because I think I somehow was able to, like, check, like, the guide channel. Do you remember back in the day when there was the guide channel? (laughs) And be like, okay, I think this is what's on right now, or what was on. And that's that. And then, for years, was like, oh, man, this is a a movie about, like, problem-solving, like, real-time, nature is the enemy kind of stuff for the most part. Which I love. Fate is a bitch. Yeah. I I think it's all about fate. It's about desperation, uh, teamwork to a degree, you know, when you you hate your team. (laughs) Exactly. It's about, yeah, it's about men solving a problem, getting together. In the same way that, like, John Carpenter's The Thing is, like, a horror story, but at the core, there's that element of, like, okay, we have to get together and figure this out. Yeah, it's relatable somewhat yeah yeah it's exactly it's what we have to do every day at work or whatever um and uh, and so then i was like i kind of was seeking it out and i think i saw it at like the cool video store years later and rented it and you know i was having some drinks watching it and i think like my dad came in i'm like you're gonna love this movie you should check it out and he just spent like the last half of the movie just screaming they should just take it out of the truck <laughs> <laughs> like every time they got to an obstacle it was like take it out of the truck <laughs> get the obstacle move put it back in the truck i think he had missed the beginning where they showed just how like moving it from at all was yeah was ridiculous 
But yeah, no, I think it was a sweaty uh, dynamite, right? So it wasn't just pure nitroglycerin, but it was like the di- nitroglycerin had drained out of the dynamite. Yeah, and that it was, was, what a, they it was at the bottom with. of the box or whatever, where the guy yeah. stuck his hand in and then slung it yeah. off. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And so you... I think if you see the whole movie, and, and you know, like to credit to my to my to my dad who doesn't really like movies at all, uh, they do do a good job of establishing. Okay, yeah, you can't chopper it in. You can't. This is like yep. the only way this stuff's going to get there, and um, and so like the, all the logic for that part is great. Like I said, like I said, I'm, I'm tainted by having seen the quote unquote good part, the awesome part, the intense part first. So I'm then I'm watching it these other times and I'm sort of not necessarily waiting for it to get to that, but I'm like, okay, I'm seeing these characters be established and I'm getting pretty quickly. Okay. You've got a quote unquote worldwide, worldwide cast or whatever of mostly criminals, I guess, I guess that would be the easy way to put it. Yeah, all four of them for Um, sure. (laughs) Are doing, or, or at least they established that whatever, whatever life they did have, they're at this other location somewhere in like, I don't know, Central America or, or something. Uh, where yeah, it's Chile, I think. Right. Okay. So South America. Yep. So it's it's sweaty and it's humid and you really do feel like you said. Friedkin does great with the atmosphere and the mood in this. And the Tangerine Dream score is, yeah, that, is top that helps notch for sure. Yeah, it helps a lot. Um, and uh, and all that. And so you get okay. These are the guys. These are guys are literally at the ends of the earth and kind of their own purgatory. It's all it's all like subtle, but kind of heavy-handed but in like a way that's still kind of like they never say that i don't think or anything like you just know that these guys are are done for and are shot and they've got kind of nowhere else to go and nothing else to do yeah it's just it's Um, simple like here's a job we know you're desperate go do the job (laughs) and see what happens it's it's really as easy as that i think um but yeah like the four guys being you know each having a very unique like criminal background is uh, another interesting piece but um yeah, I mean, I just feel like everything with it is just sewn together so nicely. Like, every little detail, um, to your point, like they kind of explain all the things that, you know, your dad would be yelling at the screen at, at, at at least one point in the film uh, so that that doesn't happen. So, again, that's free, <laughs> That's the, mas- the right. mastery of, uh, of William Friedkin. Right, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, it's possible that, like I said, I was missing some subtext or missing some sub- symbolism there, here and there. Like, I feel like I was confused about the one guy they start with in Mexico that's the hitman, and then he ends up killing somebody else. And I'm not really sure if he was hired to kill that guy or if he just I, maybe he just needed the money too. Yeah, and so he he, he empty, got rid of that guy so that he could take over the assassin guy. Yeah, I agree. That's that is probably the weakest link because they don't explain like because he's not really as escaping a past as as the other three guys he's not as far as yeah, i can tell like he's yeah. arriving he's still like you know he's not destitute yet and you know he's still got money or whatever and for some reason you know he needs to i guess make that make that money too so yeah he knocks off the older the older guy that's hanging out with the terrorist guy um yeah i yeah. agree that that is one thing that i guess wasn't wasn't sewn up i feel like that's maybe something that you know, there's pieces of it that were left on the editing floor, but um, yeah, um, that guy was kind of the least interesting of the of the four main right. for me, though. But that's probably because they don't but they focus do, on him, right? They don't, but they do start with him in a way that makes you feel like, okay, is this gonna is something about this more important? You know, because this is what you you choose to start with this assassination. You know, with this, you know, this guy's a hitman. Okay, um, I mean, I don't know. Like I said, I'm sure that there are probably 
essays written by film scholars about the, what these characters represent, you know, and I'm sure that the assassin hitman character represents something, you know, I don't know, we get into Milton or something. I don't know. If they're in purgatory, right? Yeah, the, the Wages of Fear character who kind of fills that role, uh, I remember it being very different. Like, he, like, it's similar in the fact that, like, he doesn't make it, but almost, you know, gets there. Um, right. I don't know. I guess I don't want to spoil Wages of Fear for you, but I don't know. Uh, I feel like they were just trying to add some more depth to that guy, like, making him also a criminal. I don't, I don't think he was a criminal in Wages of Fear, but he was more like a friend to the, the Roy Scheider character. Right. Um, so yeah. it made it, made it that I mean, much harder on him, like in Wages of Fear, to to get to the end. So yeah, no, I I think it's um, I mean that's where it's. I mean the second half of the movie is as amazing as is kick ass. I think it's just maybe I'm sitting there in that first half, and then when I'm trying to get the pieces together, and I, I feel like because the first half is is enough of a slow burn. Like you spend a lot of time with that guy in Paris. Yeah. Like then he goes to have have dinner with his you know or lunch with his wife and then he leaves and then you know all of this stuff and so I I mean like he almost feels like the main character just because of how much time you spend with him before everybody gets to Chile now Roy Scheider is the big American star of the movie at this point I don't know if Jaws had just come out at seventy seven so it was probably in the, it was the same yeah, year I think it was right after but. I think Freakin's been on record. He didn't. He wanted Steve McQueen. He didn't want Scheider, uh, but he had already had, right. like worked with him on French Connection or whatever. So uh, he was kind of yeah. like a, a second or third choice. But I don't know. I felt I felt he was fine. I don't think he was Scheider. Scheider. He was fine. It's just that he's introduced as part of a team of sort of thugs that are like knocking off like a crime money laundering thing in a in a church. And so, as the lead character of this story, which isn't really about maybe having a lead character, it's like, I mean, I think I wanted more from his character's backstory, because he ends up being the one, you know, spoiler alert, that makes it all the way through. And instead, we get a lot from the French guy. We don't get, I think, enough from the quote-unquote terrorist. Um, (laughs) You don't have to quote uh, on the terrorist. And so, but then he ends up being almost kind of like the most jovial of the four when they're when they're in Chile, you know, uh, <laughs> uh, which is an interesting kind of switch up. I mean, so I think, I mean, it's it's hard for me because I'm because I'm sitting there and I'm like, oh wow. A part of the point, obviously, is you know people go through shit in life and you've seen them and you've seen this guy have a nice, a very nice lunch with his wife and then he just bounced because that was it, you know, because. <laughs> Because the time was up, um, he had to get the hell out of there, and then and then cut to okay, he's driving along and sur- surviving the situation, and then you know hits a bump in the road, and that's it for them. <laughs> yeah, well, I think that's kind of, I mean, that's the point. Yeah, obviously, they, they I get spend that. All that time building you up to see what these guys' lives used to be like, uh, to show you how shitty this shanty town in South America is. So. You know, it's just that transition. But, um, yeah. I, yeah. His, I, his is the one where I feel like it's the most tragic, yeah, I guess. I kind of like, like all that all that backstory with Victor, or whatever his name was, the the French, you know, corporate scumbag. Like, you know, him and his wife, and they have that moment where she's, like, editing a book or whatever and love his wife. <laughs> she's, uh, she yeah. looks like one of those, uh, I don't know, uh, <laughs> Erectile dysfunction ad ladies got the per- the perfect amount of like gray hair in an older lady, but she's still, you know, kind of hot. 
But uh, right. I don't know. Got all that all that rich background and stuff on you know that kind of stuff, and then Roy Scheider's character, you know, um, you know, doesn't really want to you know hurt anybody in that armed robbery, and yeah, yeah. I don't know. Little things like freaking you know throws in like the like the bride at the wedding with the black eye, like like what the hell is all that about? But he throws in those little nuggets, right. kind of like. You know, like the beginning of The Exorcist, if you remember, like all the stuff in the Middle East. Like he just throws in all that, like, background just to kind of, I don't know, set no, a no. mood or whatever. I, I love the background. I, I love all the elements. It's just, and in a weird way, it kind of, I think it loses focus for me for a bit. And then and then I'm left being like, okay, well, what about, okay, so like, you know, like the terrorist guy. We see him do the terrorist thing and then some of his cohorts get caught and he manages to escape or something and then cut to him he just happens to be in Chile and and so I don't know I think and this is going to sound maybe a little sacrilegious here but I feel like the, the core of this story with these characters and this needing to work together to accomplish this is something that could totally be fleshed out and adapted to be like an amazing like single season series mm. for a TV yeah. show like just just like I mean they don't even get to Chile till like episode like four or five or start at Chile and it's like lost style flashbacky stuff maybe but that's a little more hokey I don't know that I would like that but you could play back and forth with time I mean you could do a lot of really cool stuff I mean Freakin definitely does do some pretty innovative I don't know quote unquote experimental type shit in this movie especially. I mean, relying on the like pop band Tangerine Dream for the score is is definitely making things more ethereal in places. And then the whole ending with Roy Scheider, yeah. you know, like being dehydrated and flipping out. I mean, I feel like they could have stayed with that a little longer too, because it's like they, instead they just sort of show him carrying it, and you never really see him start to carry it. And <laughs> you, know, you could have spent more time with like the just drudgery of that, not like ten minutes or anything, but maybe like two minutes or three minutes yeah. and. I know it's towards the end, and you're ready for the story to be over at that point. Yeah, maybe, but... I think that's more of a, a '70s thing. Like movies were a lot shorter back then. They, you know, two hour, two and a half hour. Like today's right. average is closer to seems like like that would just yeah. be way too much back then for I guess the audience. But yeah, like that's one thing be. that I love about the older movies. They have you know <laughs> a 90 minute runtime, and then boom, I'm out. <laughs> I know. I I love that too. And when it's a well. You know, I just think that this movie, like it's, it had, it, 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 it's so ambitious, and it brings a lot of good stuff to it, and it executes everything it does well. But it still feels like there's probably about another forty minutes of good stuff in this. Not that I'd want to necessarily watch a movie that long. You know what I mean? That's why I think it would be better as a series broken up yeah. or something. I mean, I, it's it's not fair to criticize what the movie is. I'm, I think, but but I mean, but that is kind of my criticism is that like, okay, so we spend the most backstory. And we get the greatest disparity, I would say, for the Frenchman. He had, like I said, a pretty nice, a a hot wife, a Uh, nice life. A complicated life with his father-in-law. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. like, they they go into all that stuff and just to, you know, kind of, and maybe some of that's the book. I mean, that that could be part of all this. Like, it's that classic, you know, book to movie transition where you lose a bunch of the source material because you just got to trim it down to 90 minutes or whatever and there's not enough time, but you want to tell a little bit of the time. Not that there's you know, book fanboys on of <laughs> of Wages of Fear or right, whatever right. who would be offended. But I don't know. I feel like this movie like I love all the practical effects and stuff. I think that's something that it maybe doesn't get as much credit for, but that that stuff in this is amazing. Like the explosions, the fire, the friggin' bridge thing. Like that was a bridge that William Freakin friggin' built. 
Um, all that kind of stuff is just really impressive. And I don't know, the two things that, you know, I think classically um, <laughs> went wrong with this is it came out like the week before Star Wars. So it was very quickly forgotten by everyone. And they right. shouldn't have named it Sorcerer. That was just an awful, like, I, I feel like I, like I told you, I just saw this for the first time two years ago. But I feel like I had seen the box right. of it, you know, my entire childhood. And I was like, I don't give a shit about fantasy or mystical stuff. And, and again, that's, that's just bad marketing. That's bad positioning. So, um, you know, it's, 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 it's their own fault. Well, that's a, that's, 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 a that's term. my term, but yeah, it's, yeah, it's a good term. It's a good term. It, no, no, I agree. And I still, to this day, don't know what the hell that means. That must oh, be a term. It's the name of the I truck mean, that, uh, that Victor drove, that Victor and Kasim drove. Oh, they paint it. It's, okay, yeah, well. it's poorly, that's poorly communicated too. Kind of like the poor communication of uh, the assassin guy's backstory. So uh, there's a couple things that could have been better. And yeah, the naming is one of them. Um, and for I, sure. I definitely think yeah that's that's where that that that, that whole I, I'm free to say like this could go from a three to a four a three and a half I think is the is a nice landing point for me in terms of something as as inane as star ratings because because of things like that like you know oh I'll catch that or I'll be more engaged by that next time you know oh that's the name of the truck yeah oh, yeah right. you, you oh, watch you know, that and, that awesome I'm, like eighties esque uh, like truck building montage like with, with the oh two I love dream. that that's amazing I think I think you catch oh, yeah. him like doodling it on the side or something but um, I love that part you know again the, parts like that like you get that tangerine dream score that's all right. synthy and very early John Carpenter sounding um, I don't know I just just love all those little pieces. Yeah, and like I said, I think seeing that part first, basically literally starting to watch it from that, because it really does become like a second movie at that point, where it's, okay, now it's about these guys that have to accomplish this task, and that's the second half of the movie, or whatever it ends up being. So seeing just the second half first, and then kind of waiting for that the whole time when I'm watching the other movie, like, it really did kind of poison my experience, and so now I can, you know, like this last time I went into it, I'm like, okay, I know there's some stuff with Roy Scheider, and few other things okay let's get through it let's see what goes yeah they're all criminals and they're stuck in this place i mean the other thing i don't know that they necessarily did and this might be hollywood horseshit type stuff is i don't know that they really effectively communicated that there was an out for these guys at this point like so what if they could get some money like they're there because they can't go anywhere yeah, else right so i didn't never was really sure yeah. that they the, 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 there was all of a sudden like, oh shit! If I just had money, I could do this and I could make my yeah, life better. Yeah, they cover you know? that. Like when I think Roy Scheider was either, I don't know if it was his full time job or whatever, but they show him like emptying out a plane, the plane the terror or the, not the, ter- uh, the assassin guy flies in on. And right, right. I think I think some of the communications they're describing like what their plan would be, and they just want to get out of that, you know that shanty town and they want to go to right. Argentina or they want to go to a nicer shanty town, a nicer, a nicer exactly. country than, uh, uh, that doesn't have a non extradition or whatever. <laughs> so sure, I don't know, they sure. wanted to get out of Valverde so much that they, you know, risk their lives for like eight grand or whatever. Yeah. No, okay. No, I, I mean, I get, I get that sense on some, on some level. I think maybe, like I said, it would be the Hollywood bullshit. It would be like, you know, the brass ring of like, Oh my God, everything can be all better. And you can go back to the life you had. If, 
and then you fail, and then it's more. Oh, I would you know, I would say Wages whatever. of Fear had then, more Hollywood bullshit. Like there was like a there was like a lo- like the old lady in Sorcerer that like is the bartender or not the the barkeep. Yeah. Like essentially that character in Wages of Fear was like a young, attractive uh, girl who was in love and about to marry like the Roy Scheider character. So there was like different motivations for him to survive and right. get back and all that kind of stuff. Little okay. little different. I, I kind of prefer the sorcerer take it's just like dark and grim I mean, tons I of death that, and yeah. violence <laughs> yeah no i get that i get that i mean i'm not being critical of too much of that i don't think i mean and then you do like the sort of like tales from the crypt style ending of like the bad guy criminals for roy scheider arriving at the end and you know that like he's not gonna really yeah. make it out either yeah. <laughs> his buddy double crosses him like i felt i felt like yeah. i felt like that guy was so cool like the first time like i watched it i was like oh man this guy's like nate from heat um he's like the guy yeah, right. who's yeah. got all the outs and he can you know hook him up to get him out of the country and knows not to ask you know too many questions and then at the right, end he's right, double right. crossing him so <laughs> Just yeah, and I mean, and that 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 aspect of it, like, I'm okay with it. But and I, I don't know if I've talked about this on other podcasts, but there is this element with the quote unquote, and I love a lot of it, and I think that the film junk guy should do a Jack Nicholson in the '70s premium, which I've said before. <laughs> but there's so many of these '70s movies, and a lot of them had Jack Nicholson in it. You know, you got Five Easy Pieces, Cuckoo's Nest, uh, Last Detail. Uh, I'd Ch- throw in Easy Ch- Rider, Ch- whatever. Yeah. You know. Chinatown, yeah, where there's just this 70s cynicism and these hot shot, you know, hot shot hot dog directors like your Friedkins and stuff that like have to kind of just like put that little extra twist of the knife there in the conclusions. Now, sometimes it's a like, fuck you, this isn't a conclusion. It's an anti-conclusion, you know, like anti-comedy or whatever. Um, and and I, I, I mean, I feel like it being in this movie, like you said, with the guy like betraying him and that we see that guy and we're kind of like, yeah, that's right. The world is just, <laughs> yeah. there are no friends. There are, the, nobody's your friend. It's just the, somebody that you can use and they use you. And then, you know, and I'm like, I don't know that we really needed that bit. Like we didn't need the friend to betray him, I guess is what I'm saying. Like it could have just been that the guy figured it out eventually yeah. or something. And oh, oh, well, you this know, is like pre blockbuster, um, whatever. So it's like it's like of it's course like, yeah, that's the like, whole idea, uh, right? I can kill off like two main characters like that with a tire blowout, <laughs> or I can I can have them just right. run into a bunch of gorillas or whatever uh, that want to rob them, and you know it's just it's <laughs> it, again it's just freaking building that tension of hey anything can happen right. these guys can blow up at any second they can die at any second you know all those sort of things. <laughs> And I'll give you one better. It's just it's just like most of these characters aren't likable to begin with. They're not good guys. They're criminals, you know? I mean, Ray Scheider, that you give that little throwaway line about, like, I don't usually use a gun, yeah. you know? Like, he, he's, a, he's a kind-hearted thief or whatever, you know, that doesn't want to hurt people. But, um, yeah, no, I mean, as I said, it's, it's more of an overriding thing that, like, I kind of have a love-hate relationship with in the 70s. Because in a lot of ways, like, if you track the history of film, you know, like, in the idyllic 50s and then kind of the counterculture 60s a bit, but was also still trying to be... And then you get to the pre, you know, pre-blockbuster era when there were a lot of, quote-unquote, more experimental types of things being done within the Hollywood system on some level... Um, you do get some great movies and some great performances, but there does tend to be kind of almost like a sophomoric or whatever, like a high school kind of morose, 
like, yeah, everybody sucks. All politicians are corrupt. And yeah. People betray each other. Yeah. There are no friends. Think, Love doesn't mean anything, was... you know? And I, I, get, I get a little bit sort of like, okay, come on, I think on, that's man. the underlying <laughs> thing that maybe we haven't brought up yet is that, like, it's all the big evil corporation, the oil industry or whatever that's like orchestrating all this <laughs> stuff to right. uh, you know to put these guys who you know to their own point are, are not good guys but um i don't know <laughs> forcing people to die to work a shitty job in a shitty town so that you know rich white americans get richer so i don't know there's probably un- there's yeah, undertones there's that, there's like that, that so it, it, I think it's fairly undertoned, and there is that one guy who works for the company that you see with that other guy really trying to come up with, like, the safest, best oh, solution to was, the problem. Oh, that guy was amazing. I, he was another, like, great side character. Yeah, yeah. He was just, like, in control. He was just, like, he's, like, completely cool, tells right. the rig manager, this is how it is, production must go on, you know, <laughs> you're fucked. Right. You know, R&D says you need to produce this many barrels. How are you going to do it? Yeah. Yeah. It's a, and so like I mean, there's definitely a lot going on. Yeah. There. I mean, I don't know. Do you have any f- final thoughts on sorcerer? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to try to convince you to you know you need to give it a half star bump, and this has to be a four. You know, right. it, it is yeah, what I it know, is to whomever. It's if you get whatever you want to get out of it, and maybe I just get more out of it than others. But I don't know. I just love all the practical effects. I love the cinematography is great. The score is great. Um, I love the building of that friggin' thing to blow up the tree. Like that whole sequence is amazing. That, like, again, right. it's that it's that level of detail. Like, like Batman Begins. Like how Nolan. Like to your point. Like Nolan explaining in extreme detail. Like, you know the <laughs> whatever the radio antenna that's inside Batman's you know horns or whatever on his helmet that he <laughs> you know th- that no one right, has ever right, thought yeah. no, about before. Yeah. But he's explaining. Here's exactly how this little contraption is going to work, and it—I don't know—it's just all sewn together nicely for me. And again, I think bottom line, it's just extremely effective. It, you know, <laughs> putting me on the edge of my seat, and that's it. Yeah, and then like I said, I, I think that, and I—I I, I think this makes me a good critic because I am always willing to take that step back and look at myself as as an analysis of it. And yeah, I mean, your description of seeing it, being more mature, seeing it only a couple of years ago as an adult who's, you know, gone through more adult things, me seeing it first from like the middle action part yep. as a kid and being engaged by it, like I said, it just spoiled it. I'd probably be right there with you and this would be an easy four for me um, any day of the week if I had saw it when I was maybe older and was in that right mindset and wasn't and but then then the second half comes after seeing all this other sort of 70s like okay what's going on slow burn stuff then it's like okay holy shit this is like turning into like an action sequence like this is like the a-team done right yeah. you know or something <laughs> <laughs> uh, and you're right obviously the effects and that and that grippingness and everything else um so i mean that's kind of where it just lands for me i think because it's just i can't um and that speaks a lot to to uh, i think a cautionary tale if you will for people, for people that think that like, oh, you know, like I heard the show was great. I'll just jump in in the middle and start watching it when it's on or something. And if I like it, great. Then I'll backpedal. Uh, yeah. It's like, no, no, maybe if you really want want to do yourself the favor of like, you know, because you can only have that first impression. You can only see the last episode of something or the end of something one, yeah. the first time once, and then you're always going to know that. And I know that I I struggled with this as a kid, 
struggled. I mean, whatever. I'm being melodramatic. But, I mean, the idea of, like, when you watch a certain, you know, you watch something and you kind of always, in the back of your mind, you're like, oh, I sure wish this went a little different. Or at this one moment, things could go different in the story, but you know that it won't, but you're still watching it kind of with that weird investment on hope that, like, oh, if, those, if they just say that to each other, then things would go different and they wouldn't both have to yeah, die. Yeah, or, you for know sure. I mean? Yeah, I feel like you're just, like, you know, I, I think you're completely fair to, you know, feel tainted a little bit or robbed, whatever word you want to use. Right. But, yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, that can absolutely change things. And movies will sometimes grow on you. Like, I I just recently rewatched. uh Force Awakens, and I, I feel like it's it's continuing to grow on me a little more. Prometheus has grown on me a little more. Um, so, things that I didn't yes. like as much on a first watch, where I'm like, I'm, I just either wasn't in the right mood or my expectations were too high. I mean, shit like that happens, so you just kind of take it with a grain of salt and step back right. and say, all right, you know, how do I really feel about this? But anyways, cool. yeah, cool. no. I well, mean, not that you give out too many five stars anyways. I feel like a four star yeah, for you I mean, is, is, is what I would consider a five star. 